Our Old Testament lesson tonight is Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. Listen to the word of God. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen on a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, receive our, our mercies. Receive our calls for forgiveness. Lord, transform those works that we would do to appease you into hearts that, that seek to please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ritual is an interesting thing. Um, it serves really important purposes with religions, with people groups, even with teams, even sometimes with corporations, okay? Uh, how many of you have ever had to work on coming up with a corporate logo or a statement of purpose for your particular group? Uh, how many of you have ever had to come up with a name for your team? All right. Or a name for your rock band? It took us three months. We, it took us three months to come up with our name and we broke up the next week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not quite that bad, but felt that way. Um, and of course, we participate in a ritual tonight. Um, it's kind of a strange thing, 2019, putting ashes on our head. A ritual that, trans, that goes beyond Christian tradition, certainly, 
uh, it was part of Jewish festivals, uh, part of other religious festivals as well. Uh, maybe you watch some of the things that were going on in India over the last week. Um, one of my favorite rituals with ashes is that there's an Indian, a Native American tribe, or an Aboriginal tribe, down on the border of, between Venezuela and Brazil. And when you die, they want to make sure you move on, all right? So they burn your body, they grind it all up, and then as kind of a parting gift, they put your ashes in some banana wine and they, they drink it. All right, you know, it's, it's not the most comforting kind of wake, but you know, it does the job, right? <laughs> okay, all right. All right, we think that's strange, but we're all sitting here with ashes on our head, okay. But these are palm ashes, if you're wondering where I got them, okay. So they were actually last, last year's, I actually saved them, last year's Palm Sunday, and thank my son, uh, John, uh, burned them up for us, all right. Um, ashes to ashes. One of my, uh, I had a great friend, uh, Joe Cal Caldwell, and um, Joe just uh, had a great heart. Uh, we were, he went, came to my church, but we were social friends. Um, and one of the favorite things he did in our church, we went down every year and did mission projects uh, down in Western North Carolina. And we built uh, 40 houses over the times we were down there, hundreds of wheelchair ramps, renovations. We had a really a skilled group of folks. Uh, sometimes I took over 150 people on one of these trips. And Joe just loved it. It was some of his happiest time. Um, but Joe died way too young, um, unexpectedly. He uh, fought cancer and, um, and, and died. Actually, he died on Memorial Day. I remember that. I always remember that. Uh, I was there with him. And, um, you know, when you're a pastor, you don't always get to grieve, okay? Um, matter of fact, you hardly ever get to grieve when you're, when you're doing the sermon. And Joe was such a close friend. And, you know, I did the service and was with the family. And, and, um, and you know, a couple months after that, we were getting ready to go down to our North Carolina trip. And Joe's absence was going to be really particularly felt on that trip, you know? So I called his, his wife, his widow, who was a good friend of mine, and said, you know, I'm going down to North Carolina, it may sound goofy, but you know, Joe always wore a stupid hat, and he always had these weird suspenders. It, it may be weird, but I'd like, to take, I'd like to take part of Joe down with me, all right? And she goes, and she, and she said, oh, I'm happy, so just stop by the house. So my youngest son and I drive up to the house, and I had bought Joe's pickup from him. Okay, he got a new pickup, and I bought this old pickup. It was like 180,000 miles on it, but he loved that pickup. And so we pulled up in front of his house, and we went up in the door, and, and I opened the door, and there was some suspenders, and there was Joe's hat, and then there was a bag. And Peter looked at me, and I looked at him, and I picked up the bag and shook it. And Peter looked at me, is that some of Joe in there? <laughs> I go, I think so. So we carried it, and, <laughs> and we, we, put, we put the stuff in the middle between Peter and I, and, and Peter and I didn't say a word to each other. We're driving along, and all of a sudden Peter said, you know, Joe always did love this truck. <laughs> we create these kind of ideas, we create these symbols 
to give our lives meaning. Okay? For instance, one of the most important phrases of our nation is we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay? Now, all those things are actually ideas. You can even say they're myths. Okay? You can't prove any of them scientifically. They're philosophical, kind of religious in sentiment, okay? Um, but they are not based on any kind of empirical evidence. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I heard one philosopher say, America was founded on the most successful fiction of all time. <laughs> all right. um, I'm reading a book now by um, uh, Yuval Noah Harari. It's called Sapiens. And he's a historian, total materialist secularist. He teaches at uh, Hebrew University in, in uh, Tel Aviv, um, or it might be at the Jerusalem campus, I'm not sure. But he wrote this book. It was quite, it was a New York Times bestseller. And it's basically a combination of anthropology, sociology, history, but it's kind of the history of our particular species, sapiens, all right, from a biological perspective. And in the book, he says, this is how a bi biologist would say, the preamble to the Constitution. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all humans evolve differently, that they are born with multiple immutable characteristics, that among these are life and the pursuit of pleasure. Okay? We are born different, right? We have different physical capacities. Uh, we have different IQs. We have different skill sets. Um, and within us are mutable characteristics. Some of those things changing over time have been good for us, some not so good, right? Right? right. <laughs> and the reality of it is, the only thing that's self-evident is that we want to live, and that it's hard to define happiness, so we seek pleasure. Right? We, we seek things that we like to do. We seek things that we enjoy. Right? Now, in this biological world, there are winners and losers at the game of life, both naturally and socially. And religious ritual can actually be used to numb us to those differences, right? I mean, there is a point when Marx says that religion is an opium for the masses. And actually, he's not being negative there, okay? Because an opium does what? It numbs the pain, okay? All right? They come in very handy. Um, they can be certainly terribly abused, but painkillers are helpful when you're in extreme pain, right? So religion as an opiate is not in of itself. He didn't, and Marx probably didn't mean it as, a, as negative as, it, as say, the, uh, the, the communists used it. They still use it. You know, I think Isaiah probably on one level would have agreed more with the secular historian's understanding of history than maybe the American dream. But what he says is, <laughs> the world may not create equal opportunities for people. And matter of fact, the opposite is, is the case. There are thousands of opportunities to oppress people. There are thousands of ways that some people have too much and some people go hungry. 
There are hundreds of different ways, thousands if not millions of different ways that we can oppress one another. But the writer of Isaiah, who's writing actually when the Israelites have come back from the exile. Okay, Isaiah 58 is they're coming back from the exile. These basically are a group of the elites who have come back from Babylon. And things are not going well. Okay, and there's great divisions among them in the community. Particularly between the haves and the have-nots. And Isaiah is saying, regardless of what nature or politics or the luck of the draw has done for you, God says, if you want to worship me, it matters how you treat one another. Don't give me your religious festivals. Don't give me outward signs of devotion. Don't give me words where the people around you are dying. This is not the fast that I've chosen. <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right, I, actually not what I was thinking, actually. <laughs> okay, so this, for Lent, I'm not going to throw this out the window. That's my first time. All right. All right. You know, it's good, it's good that we still have enough conscience that we get nervous when we hear thunder, right? <laughs> but, but getting back to that, this idea that we can't disconnect our relationship with God, whatever, however we observe, from, from how we treat each other. You know, often Lent, we talk about Lent as being this um, time of really reflecting on our relationship with God, and that's absolutely true. And, and I think it's important that we do ritual things to help us reorder our life. So spiritual disciplines can be rituals. Fasting is a ritual to help you uh, realize that you don't live by bread alone. We'll talk about that this Sunday. Okay? Maybe turning off your electronics helps you be freed a little bit from all the constant noise and distraction. Uh, you know, giving up something that you like to eat, not only is maybe good for your healthy, but it realizes that, you know what, I am in control of myself, that I can say yes to God and add some space here. Those are all really important things to do about Lent. But our text tonight reminds us that you can't separate your verbal or even your heart devotion to God from what's happening around you with the people around you. In other words, real religion, true religion, the true following of God is God saying, I don't care how nature works things out. As my people, 
you treat each other in a different way. Everyone is equally important. And you know, in Lent, in, in Ash Wednesday, sometimes we build that importance from the back, you know, backwards forward. We're all going to die, right? So what are you going to do about that? That's really kind of what Lent is, right? It's a reminder of mortality. You're all going to die, so what do you do from now until then? Okay. What's it mean to live? Isaiah is trying to tell us what does it mean to pray. And to pray to God with an open heart means that that heart has to go horizontal as well as vertical. You know, it's interesting. Um, we took Joe's ashes with us down to North Carolina. And um, there was this place up in the mountains that he really liked. And so we went out on the bridge. <laughs> there was a bridge over the French Broad River. And um, we took a moment. And, and the thing about it that really struck me that um, Joe's love of God includes a love for beautiful places, a love for this nature. But he was, his, he, his best prayer, if you would, was when he was hammering those nails, measuring twice so you only had to cut once. That was his, that was his mantra, okay? <laughs> that was part of his Jesus prayer, right? Measure twice so you only have to cut once. And we, um, we spread his ashes over this, this river. And it really struck me that, um, that whatever we have in this life, okay, whatever time we have in this life, we have all kinds of opportunities with that. We can, we can live lives that are, are marked by um, bitterness. We can live lives that dwell on the fact that things aren't fair in this world. right? Um, we can live for ourselves. We can recreate a Christianity that's only about us or our particular tribe, whatever tribe that is. Or we can loose the bonds of the injustice. We can build a wheelchair ramp for someone who needs one. We can donate some food uh, to people that are hungry. We can go spend a Saturday night showing some people that they're not forgotten. That's what we're going to do this week at Crossroads. Land is an opportunity for us to try to stop, not only see ourselves and see life as it really is, but to begin to see how God sees things. This is what I want from you. He's pretty clear about that in this passage. All right? Well, that maybe is an opportunity to turn things down a little bit, to cut back on some stuff, to allow there to be some space so that we can hear the voice of God. Not our voice, not our particular version of what it means to be a Christian, but maybe actually hear what he wants from us. Um, we may be ashes, okay, but those ashes come from stars. <laughs> and those ashes will be resurrected to live as the sons and daughters of God. But until until that time, you know, we need to do the best we can in this dirt down here. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.